Hello, and welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hey guys, buddy C. I'd like to welcome everyone today. We've got Cindy and Marla and Suzanne and Tina and Rob. Good to have Rob back again. Paul, Craig, welcome everyone. Good morning, Lala. How are you today, ma'am? I'm well. Good. Okay, let's get started reading. Paul's going to read for us today. We're on the third chapter. Okay, here is chapter three, first translation. Not exalting the gifted prevents quarreling. Not collecting treasures prevents stealing. Not seeing desirable things prevents confusion of the hearts. The wise, therefore, rule by emptying hearts and stuffing bellies, by weakening ambitions and strengthening bones. If men lack knowledge and desire, then clever people will not try to interfere. If nothing is done, then all will be well. Second translation. If you overesteem great men, people become powerless. If you overvalue possessions, people begin to steal. The master leads by emptying people's minds and filling their cores, by weakening their ambition and toughening their resolve. He helps people lose everything they know, everything they desire, and creates confusion in those who think that they know. Practice not doing, and everything will fall into place. Third translation, if you overly esteem talented individuals, people will become overly competitive. If you overvalue possessions, people will begin to steal. Do not display your treasures or people will become envious. The master leads by emptying people's minds, filling their bellies, weakening their ambitions, and making them become strong. Preferring simplicity and freedom from desires avoiding the pitfalls of knowledge and wrong action. For those who practice not doing, everything will fall into place. And the fourth and final translation, if you toss compliments around freely, people will waste your time trying to impress you. If you give things too much value, you're going to get ripped off. If you try to please people, you'll just make them pissed. The master leads by clearing the crap out of people's heads and opening their hearts. He lowers their aspirations and makes them suck in their guts. He shows you how to forget what you know and what you want so nobody can push you around. If you think you've got the answers, he'll mess with your head. Uh, Stop doing stuff all the time and watch what happens. Yeah, that was my mistake, Paul. No problem. I I like that last one. (laughs) I do too. (laughs) I do too. Kind of cuts right to it, doesn't it? It does. I'm going to stop the share, and I'll put the link in the chat if you want to pull that up on your computer. What What is, maybe some of y'all know, what's our email, Marla? Wisdom526 Wisdom at, at gmail. At gmail.com, okay. I don't know what this style of writing is where you put the problem first and then the solution on the end, but this is done continually through this where he tells us first what not to do. (laughs) And then eventually he gets to what works, you know. 
So if someone knows that, please let us know. Um, <laughs> it just makes sense. Stop doing this. Here's what to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it does. But I think it's a style. I think it's an, it's a, it's some, it's a way of writing, you know, and he always does this, you know, there's always this, okay, these are the things you don't do. And I've got another book that I've been using, which I'm loving more and more this Tao Te Ching, the definitive edition, Jonathan Starr. And this idea that it's not that we can't have things. It's that if we over esteem great men in uh, the second translation there, or if we overvalue possessions, <coughs> I've heard another saying with that um, well, in um, high wall, tall walls, uh, high walls invite burglars. When you build a gate, you want to see what's behind it. You know, I see, I ride down the road and I see a gate, big gate on a house. I know there's something back there, even if I can't see it. It must be something really nice if they're going to have a gate like that. You know, and I I get inquisitive. When if I didn't see the gate, I wouldn't even know there was anything back there, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like my boss, he has a huge safe in his home office. And I always wonder what's in there. I never <laughs> exactly, asked him. Paul. Yeah. I really, I really like uh, Stephen Mitchell. I think hit this, hit the nail on the head. Um, he says that emptying people's minds, that he's talking about, um, he empties them of concepts, judgments, and desires. Thus, they can return to a state of childlike simplicity. So this is what the sage does, uh, the master. He empties people's minds, filling their core or like filling their belly. First of, of course, I thought of food, but I don't think that's what they're talking about. He says he fills them with a sense of their original identity. Thus, they can return to a state of joy. And awakening their ambition, you know, uh, you know, it says here that filling their cores and by weakening their ambition, I'm like, this can't mean that people don't are not motivated, that you want to, you know, overpower them, you know, that kind of dumb them down. What he's saying that means is that when they have no false self to nourish or defend, they find that greed, hatred, and arrogance vanish by themselves. It's emptying, right? And toughening their resolve has to do with our inner intention that we develop enough self-reliance to give up the idea of self. I was looking for an email of him for Stephen Mitchell. I was going to ask him if he wanted to anonymously come on and participate sometime. If any of you guys know how to get in touch with him or anyone listening, or if he may listen sometimes, welcome to join us. Love to have some of those guys expound on some of their knowledge. But uh, I think he hit the nail on the head today. Any comments? Yeah, plenty. I mean, he's asking, Lao Tzu is asking us to um, stop craving for things that we don't have so we can appreciate what we do have. That's, you know, part of it. He's definitely talking a bit about gratitude, which we all know is a great tool for recovery. Step one, need to change things. Yeah, this emptying of the mind. First, he's given us the problem. You know, all those problems are external. 
Mm-hmm. You know that when we when we overesteem people, when we want when we um, use compliments to try to manipulate, when we do all of that side of things, there's really three ideas here. I see, you know, kissing ass to try to get your way. Really, is that for for me? It's what I see in that first one: people pleasing, getting our value from uh, the value mm-hmm. of others' place. You know, yeah, getting our value from things that we have or things we need and things we think we need. and Then the possessions. And then the third part of that would be showing off. I would think that when we when we take and we try to, you know, use our things again to show how important and proud we are and that, that all of our peace that we're looking for is not within those things. So this is another example of that, I think. No, you really get a minute of pleasure when you buy yourself that or you get that something that you really want. You get a minute of pleasure, and that's about it. Right. You know, right. it's not something that's lasting. Yeah. Cindy, you have something? Yeah, I, I think that people-pleasing also can be fear-driven. Yeah. If you're... If you're trying to keep everybody happy so that no one's really paying attention to you or no one really gets to know you or no one, like you don't even get to know yourself. You just try to keep everybody else happy so that you are safe, for lack of a better word. Very good. Yeah, I I can see that. I can see that. And I think he starts drilling down to that in in how he's talking about that we identify. The first thing that... I see that we have to do is is be empty, um, teaching us how to leads uh, leads us to empty our minds. And one of the translations there say that that's emptying our mind of negativity. That maybe that has to do with our fear and our character defects and our powerlessness. If we start looking at this toward recovery, Kirsty. Um. Yeah. I mean, I I was gonna say something very similar to Cindy um we all certainly in recovery a lot of us um wore masks and we would kind of um accessorize those masks with stuff um like I don't know expensive cars um a way of dressing uh, you know and, and to to fill this persona that we thought we had to have in order to be successful in order to be accepted um and and actually it wasn't our true self true self so i mean i i came in very you know towards the end of the readings um but in re- really in, in clearing all of that out, in losing all of the, and losing the mask and everything that goes with it, you are then able to see what you've got, be your true self, and evolve into who you are meant to be. And it's far easier to do that if you are not surrounded by these this kind of false um, environment, these false things that you think will make you the right type of person. Um, I mean, 
you know, that, that was my personal experience. You know, as soon as I rid myself of everything that was attached to um, my former my former idea my former idea of myself then I was able to then kind of start from scratch because yeah it it's you can't you can't become someone different if you're hanging on to things that defined you um as you once were if if, if this makes any sense whatsoever um i'm still kind of reading through and and um and yeah trying to make sense of it all there's a quote kirsty that says that uh to be filled you must first become empty right mm-hmm. that's what you're talking about yeah we can't uh you know if we're already full there's no room for anything else so that it's interesting the first thing he said was that we have to be empty we have to empty ourselves first I was this whole first part about things and stuff. I was reminded of an old Twilight Zone episode where these uh, guys robbed a, a bunch of gold bullion, went to a cave in the middle of the desert, put the bullion in the cave, got in these coffin looking things, and where they were going to sleep and not age for what a couple hundred years or something. So they did that. Then they all woke up, and some rocks fell and busted some of them, and some of the guys died. If I remember the story correctly, there were a couple of guys left. They got what gold they could carry because the car, the truck they had, of course, wouldn't run after 100 years, so or ever how long it was. It was a long time. So they start carrying the gold out of the desert, and they start fighting, and they end up one killing the other, and the guy comes out with one thing, one uh a block of gold, you know, he, he has one big brick of gold and he gets out to the main road and he dies on the road with the gold, right? And, and you know, two people come by and, and obviously it's futuristic with these silver looking clothes and, you know, a car that is up off the ground, you know, some little saucer thing. And they say, oh, look, this man's dead. And what does he have? And the, the gentleman was older. Even in the future, old men marry young women, it looked like. So <laughs> I know it was crazy. And uh, he, he, uh, he said, oh, he has gold. She says, what is gold? Oh, years ago, they put value on gold. Now it's worthless once we figured out how to make it. And she, she said, oh, okay. You know, so they, you know, the whole effort was worthless. In other words, the things that they thought were valuable were no longer valuable. So this whole idea reminded me of that, that we're, our perception is that this esteem of other people and possessions and impressions and impressing and doing all those things uh, has value to it. But it, we find it does not, doesn't work for us. Paul? Yeah, I remember that episode you're talking about, buddy. You did a good job of explaining it. Thank you. Please correct me if I if I missed any parts of it. No, that was good. But yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking again back to, you know, most of us live in a capitalist, consumerism driven society, especially nowadays. How easy it is to get things on the internet, and uh, you know, it just it just makes me think of how unhappy a lot of people I know are. They have a lot of possessions, but really they're 
inside, they're kind of empty inside. And uh, I know a lot of people like that. And thankfully, I've never really been driven by all that kind of stuff, money and success and all that. Um, again, I think that goes back to practicing the gratitude. You know, be happy for the things you do have. You know, don't sit there and wish for all the stuff that you don't have. And just trying to keep up with everybody. And it just, uh, you know, this, 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 I think this is what this whole chapter is kind of getting at. So, You know, and the promise... If we look at the the end of the chapter, it says that practicing non-doing, everything falls into place, or those who practice not doing. Uh, so it's about learning. When I hear not doing, I'm automatically thinking not doing, right? I mean, doing nothing, like being lazy, the whole idea of, you know, laying on the couch and watching Perry Mason reruns, you know, whatever it is that I might, you know, might do that's I think of as being lazy, right? No motivation, no ambition, no, you know, the things that my mother told me and father told me not to do, right? That's the things I think of on the surface when I see that. But as we dig into this, we see that this is really talking about not practicing selfish, self-centered behavior. It's what yeah. this is really talking about. Yeah, it all goes back to the ego again, doesn't it? It does, Paul. It does. So this emptying, so we've identified what we don't want. Don't do this. We've identified that, okay? Um, it says the master leads by emptying people's minds, or another, uh, another translation of that would say uh, emptying us of negative emotions of the things that upset us. So emptying us of the things that cause us angst. What in the world does steps four through nine do for us? That's exactly <laughs> what they do. Lala? Well, I was going to say, just going back to letting go of all those, you know, the power, the prestige, and all those things. I mean, that just reminds me of, I don't think I ever purposely seeked those out, but I certainly had them. You know, when I had my own company and I had money and I had my own condo and I had, you know, all these things and all the clothes and went to all the parties and, you know, was working in the entertainment industry. And, I, you know, like I said, I don't think I really seeked it out, but it really wasn't until I literally in one fell swoop let everything go, like just literally walked away from everything and started from bare, bare minimum that I could really learn what recovery was all about, stop trying to keep up with the Joneses, stop trying to, you know, um, keep up appearances, because especially as I was screwing up and becoming, you know, making a mess of myself everywhere, it's constantly having to, you know, we, we show, oh, no, no, I've got this, I've got this. And, you know, not that I became sober right away, but once I walked away from all that, just because, you know, it was basically not, not focusing on recovery was killing me. You just realize how much you just stop. <laughs> that shit just matters anymore. Like the real stuff is in, you know, the real friends, the authentic people, the people that, you know, the salt of the earth people, not, not anybody that they can do anything for you. Just somebody that, you know, will literally sit there and listen to all of your, you know, issues without judgment. And, you know, like you know, right now I stepped away from work, but I, you have exactly what you need. You know, you find you have exactly what you need. You have the, 
friendships you need. You have just enough money to get by. You don't need to buy any of the extra things. And um, I, I didn't realize it took me a long time to walk away from everything. And, you know, of course, I wish I had done it sooner. But when you, when you drop all those things, that's when you really see the shift, or I did. And, you know, to piggyback onto everything you just said, once I stopped trying to be like everyone else, yeah. I think is when um, I really took recovery more seriously. And also, um, I've always wanted to have more resolve about who I am. And once I let go of who I thought I should be, or, you know, I should be like this person, like that person, my resolve grew a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, which is all about the ego, you know, letting go of the ego, really. It's so much stronger in who you really are versus this persona you're putting on to the rest of the world. Right. You want to be able to drink like those people drink. Right. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. It is. It is exhausting. And, that, and that's exactly what I was going to say. I, I've, I personally, I have finally let go of trying to get in contact with a couple of people that I thought were friends that I'd had had for a long for a long time, you know, nine um you know, nearly twenty years. And, you know, my circumstances changed um oh gosh, five five years ago now. And and I went from on from being that person um to to the process of actually you know being ill relapsing um and then becoming who i am now and it's not a finished job it never will be um but i'm not ashamed of who i am um and that is completely different to how i was five years ago now funnily enough um you know the the my my father-in-law um sold his ski chalet um oh probably two years ago now we don't we don't associate with you know we they still sort the other people it's just so happened that they they've done very well for themselves um and surprisingly enough these people stopped contacting us when my circumstances changed when i lost what I thought I should have and who I thought I should be, the property, the prestige and all of that crap. And when that transaction went through, surprisingly, I no longer got phone calls. I no longer got messages. We no longer met up. And despite my attempts at trying to get in contact, nothing ever came of anything. And it was only recently that the penny dropped. And I thought, you know what? If that's all, all you see... In our family, our friend, the friendship of our family that has, that been beside you for so long, then just just do your own thing, mate. Just bye bye. Um, and I'm not going to waste my time anymore because it really was wasting my time, my and my energy and my time. Um, and and it's really quite liberating because I don't have to think about it anymore. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm with you, hundred percent. You know, you got me thinking about something, Kirsty. If we're looking for areas to change with this, 
maybe the first thing to identify that is what is exhausting us in our life? What is the most effort that we're putting out? What is it that's causing us the most friction? Maybe start there and look at ways that we're not being empty in those areas first, and that mm-hmm. will lead to all these other things. You know, that, that works for me. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. <clears throat> good. Rob, you have something, sir? Yeah, this this concept of my worth is based on other people's approval of me and the perception that I create, whether it's real or not, fake it till you make it. And I will be accepted if I meet the criteria, if I latch on to somebody who's successful and they become my mentor and I accumulate things and show them off and gate them in and all for the, all for the purpose of filling my belly so that I feel good. I've got worth, you know, I don't think it's hunger either. I think it's a a sense of self-worth. If my entire being is based on other people's perception, I've given them control of my life. And I don't, I don't understand why, you know, the simple concept is, is some, the marketers put so much money at this and obviously they do it to, to make money themselves. But it took me a long time to figure out that, you know, I've, I've got to just, I've got to do this for me <laughs> so that I have some sense of sanity because every time I go for these things, you know, a promotion or get a certification to move up the ladder, it always wound up being kind of like popcorn, you know, how it smells so good, but then you eat it and you're still starving. I'm, and, and part of my identity is I'm trying to work through the, the recovery, the alcohol addiction I now that I've I've been kind of out of the work environment and I drank with a lot of those guys and I considered them friends, et cetera, I've had two out of about a hundred people contact me. I'm really seeing kind of a lot what what Christy was saying about how you really find out who your friends are and what and and where things really were at. And as I'm dialoguing and starting the writing process and kind of writing to my old um, ultra drunk ego and, and wondering, you know, why did I do all this stuff? So much of it was I thought I had an identity and I thought I had acceptance in my friends and I thought I was having such a great time. But the minute that I pulled myself out of that, I realized that it was all emptiness. And now I'm finally starting to fill my belly. I'm starting to get in and dig in, work the steps, got a sponsor, joining these type of conversations, and it's, it's new to me. It took me, I'm 55, just turned 55 a little bit ago, and it's taken me this long to figure it out, but, man, I'm glad I did because at least I, you know, feel like I'm getting somewhere. I'm actually happier. That's what I got. Thanks, Rob. That's good. I like the popcorn analogy. That's good. Um, he helps people lose everything they know. How counterintuitive is that? That's in the second translation. Everything they know, everything they desire, and creates confusion in those who think that they know. <laughs> I mean, that's it. That's it in a nutshell, because 
until we're empty, we can't be filled. And this powerlessness idea is such a huge part of that because I couldn't stay sober until I learned how to let go. And it took six years in and out of AA for me to learn that, how to let go of my ideas and not depend on my willpower to accomplish something that I had no ability to do. That was my first uh, real uh, sample of that, the first time I'd seen that. So, you know, now I want that and everything else. And that's what this is talking about. You know, so we have to be empty. So if we have an area that we have, we're pushing, 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 that's a good place to start. You know, and the steps help me identify that. You know, my fourth step helped me identify areas that I was letting fear dominate my life. Because all those things, really, you could just write fear for the first whole stanza. Because every bit of that, if you look deep enough, you're going to see fear behind it. It's a fear of not getting something you want or losing something you have. Everything falls in one of those. All of my negative behaviors come out of fear. Every one of them. There's nothing that I've been able to identify as far as a negative behavior that if I look deep enough, there wasn't fear behind it. So he's really teaching us how to be empty of that, how to let go of what we know. Because as long as I'm depending on what I know, there's no room for me to learn something new. Yeah, and it takes the confusion of that. So if we think we know in an area, we're going to see the confusion and the angst that's involved. Uh, that's good. That's good. Um, turn that light around. What's our real treasure? It's what we see so far is just a bottomless pit, right? Okay. Why don't we look at Wayne Dyer? Any comments at this point, guys? I think Wayne Dyer hit this on the head, talking about practicing this uh, selfless action. Uh, Living Contentment is his title chapter. I do want to read the last part of his verse there, Marla, uh, and I'll just read it. Practice non-doing. When action is pure and selfless, everything settles into its own perfect place. Wayne Dyer writes, pursuit of status, be it monetary or a position of power, blinds us to our relationship to the eternal Tao, along with a contented life that is available. Overvaluing possessions and accomplishment stems from our ego's fixation on getting more wealth, belonging, status, power, or the like. The Tao recommends refraining from this kind of discontented way of life, which leads to thievery, contentiousness, and confusion. Rather than seeking more, the Tao practice of gratitude is what leads us to the contented life. We must replace personal desires with a Tao-centered question, how may I serve? By simply changing these kinds of thoughts, we will begin to see major changes taking place in our lives. Hold on right there, Marlon. Really, guys, it all goes back to the same thing it always does. It doesn't change. It's what can I do for you, not what can you do for me. And if I do, and if I do what you need, if I take care of you, then my needs are going to be taken care of, period. It's just that simple. Just that simple. Comments or we keep reading? Okay. Just that simple. (laughs) Keep it simple, stupid. That's it. The advice to practice 
quote-unquote not doing and trusting that all will settle into perfect place may sound like a prescription for laziness and a failed society, yet I don't think that's what Lao Tzu is offering here. He isn't saying to be slothful or inactive. Rather, he's suggesting that trusting in the Tao is the way to be directed by the source of your creation and to be guided by a higher principle than your ego-driven desires. Okay, see, that is an incredible definition of what this not doing is talking about. He isn't saying to be slothful or inactive. Rather, he's suggesting that trusting in the Tao is the way to be directed by the inner source of your creation and to be guided by a higher principle than your ego-driven desires. I mean, if you take every action and in that action, that interaction you're having with someone, if your intent is to do, is to help them rather than for them to, for you to manipulate and pull strings for them to do something for you, that takes a lot of work. That is not laziness by no means. That takes a lot more effort for me, mm-hmm. especially at first. But it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, let's talk about this for a minute. And I was talking with a friend of mine yesterday about this. Uh, Zachy, that we talk about the Tao a lot. You know, if we thought of all of life as this flow, this river, do I have to understand where all those drops of water came from for me to get in the flow and just float down the river? I don't. I don't have to think, oh, my God, that drop came from here. I wonder where this came. I wonder where that, you know, how did all that? I don't have to understand the the whole hydrologic process, you know, all the condensation and this came from here. And I don't have to understand any of that. I don't have to know anything. All I have to do is get in the river (laughs) and pick my feet up and start floating. That's all I have to do. It takes no knowledge. Paul? Is is that what we call effortless effort? I think so. Yeah. I mean, we have to get in the river. I mean, we have to move into that flow, right? And not fight the flow. The doing that we're talking about is when, you know, when we hold on to a limb because we don't want to go any further. So we're pushing and we're, we've got this effort to try to stay where we're at. When if we just surrender and just go with the flow of what's in front of us, just things just work out. I have no idea how it happens, but it does. That's the Tao. We don't exactly, know. Marla. It just is. That, that's exactly <laughs> what this is talking about. You know, that is the real effort, is, uh, is asking the question, okay, I'm, I'm going to do for you instead of, you know, how can I maintain my selfishness? Yeah. So that's all great. Um, I, I skipped a little bit. I skipped a little bit down. Um, a lot of it is repetitive, what we've already been talking about, about the ego and et cetera. And it, it, this part says, I believe that Lao Tzu would offer the following advice based upon his third verse of the Tao. Remind yourself daily that there's no way to happiness. Rather, happiness is the way. Stop pushing yourself, Lao Tzu would say, and feel gratitude and awe for what is. 
Your life is controlled by something far bigger and more significant than the petty details of your lofty aspirations. (laughs) Trust the harmony of the Tao. It took care of everything that you needed in your creation, as well as your first nine months of life, without any assistance from you, and totally independent of any desires you may have had. We, yeah, we didn't take part in our creation. It just all worked out, and here we are. <laughs> so the rest of it should follow through the rest of our lives. I think, you know, part of it is our fear of death. We all know we're going to die. So we, cre- we, crave, we crave these things that we don't really need. You know, you know, Marla, you you could have stopped after fear. I think, I think part of it is our fear. Period. And you know, the, our our biggest fear, I think, is this fear of death. But we have all these other fears that we don't even see our fear. We don't even see how fear motivates our life in so many ways. Most people don't. Yeah. And, and those motivations can be taken to a higher level. For example, I can wear a seatbelt because I want to be here for the people I love, not because I'm afraid of getting a ticket or I'm afraid of hurting myself or afraid of dying. If you want to do that one, you know, yeah, it's just, it's a shift in the thinking. It's a shift. And a lot of times our actions look the same, but they can be from a, from a motivation of love rather than from a motivation of fear or selfishness or resentment, all those things that, uh, that if we don't, uh, we don't watch it we'll, we'll let dominate our life it's the intention of your actions changes or you know what you want it to change um this henry david thoreau mm-hmm. so, we were talking about a couple minutes ago being empty so that we can refill and i think henry david thoreau spent a lot of time in silence in nature in silence is a huge undertaking to sit in silence um but it helps it's meditation basically anyways um henry david thoreau made the following observation in the middle of the 19th century as he wrote at weldon pound and i feel that it personifies the third verse of the Tao. let us spend one day as deliberately as nature and not be thrown off track by every nutshell and mosquito's wing that falls on the rails. If the engine whistles, let it whistle till it whores for its pain. If the bell rings, why should we run? I have always been regretting that I was not as wise as the day I was born. (laughs) That's wisdom, isn't it? Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. Now, this next part, do the down now. I do this all the time because I always want to buy things. Um, and I, I step back and recognize why do I want to buy it? Is it going to make my, is it going to enhance my life in any way? You know, I really think, Marla, this do the down now is one of his better ones. I really like this one. And this should be, um, I mean, this whole verse really should also be at the end of all of the verses because it kind of sums them all up. So, anyways, for, for those listening, do the Tao now. Watch for an opportunity to, to today to notice that you're planning on buying something. Choose to do the Tao and listen for guidance. 
Be grateful that you have the choice to make the purchase. Then practice listening to yourself and not doing. Through your feelings, the Tao will reveal the way for you in that moment. Trust it. You might be guided to buy the item and savor it with gratitude. Donate it. Procure one for you and one for someone else. Give the money to charity instead of getting the item. Or refrain from obtaining it altogether. Practice doing the Tao in everyday situations and you'll know contentment in a deeper sense. As this verse says, when action is pure and selfless, everything settles into its own perfect place. Now that's my definition of contentment. And notice there, he didn't say that you can't have it. Right. <laughs> the, in our scarcer, scarcity thinking, we automatically go to, well, that means I can't have anything. No, <laughs> that's not what it said. No. It said that we need to be surrendered and grateful and make decisions out of gratitude and out of uh, abundance and love instead of out of fear. Right. To tell, and that's, that's the practice non-doing. That's another example of that. Yeah. Comments, guys? I've known people who have been renunciates and who just give it up everything, including, you know, snow boots and whatever, everything. And they're just, they're equally as unhappy as those people that have everything. Because it's not about these outside things, whether we have them or not, is not the point. Right. If there's not an internal emptiness, an internal change, it's still about buddy. <laughs> as long as it's about buddy, it's wrong. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, that, that's the whole point is to change the shift of focus of your life from yourself to others. You know, that's yeah. the real, in everything. And, you know, we have that choice in every interaction. We have that choice in this moment. We have the choice riding down the road. We have that choice at any time that we're interacting with someone else. We have, we can make the decision to make this moment about me. We, we can smile at someone. We can pick up a piece of trash. We can be kind instead of arrogant and pushy, even when we're in the right. You know, there's all every interaction we have this choice to make. So, and I, I think that's what this is about: is practicing that non-doing. That is the non-doing is not being selfish, not you know oppressing someone else so I can get my way. That's the non-doing that I see. Rob? Talk about how hard it is to add conscious thought into our purchasing habits. The other day I was asking Alexa for some information on something, and she put it in my cart, my Amazon shopping cart. I, I didn't even ask to buy anything. Do you want to buy it now? <laughs> It's so difficult. It's just clicking by, clicking by, ding dong, there it is, you know. It's crazy. It's, it's just so hard. And, and to talk about thinking through even those type of decisions, it's our society's making it extremely difficult to be mindful. For me, that starts with meditation. You know, that starts with me understanding I am not that thought. And that's what meditation did for me was that, I'm just observing that. I'm not even that emotion that I'm feeling. 
I'm the one observing that. So there's several books that really help me with that. Untethered Soul is a good one for that. Of course, the Letting Go book that we got a lot from is good for that too. There's several, several. Um, but but that whole idea that just because I have a thought, I don't have to run with it, you know. Nor do I have to feel guilty for having it. It's just a thought. Is all it is. I used to feel guilty for every negative thought I had, you know. I don't anymore. Marla? I would disconnect, Alexa, if I were you. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have Alexa. Yeah, she never, knows so much about you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but it is, you know, I'm sitting here on my computer and I search something and then all of a sudden I start seeing advertisements for right. those things. You know, it happens all the time. I just accept that as being the way it is. It got so ridiculous when I was in New York at my sister's house for my birthday. The kids are going, it's Alexa's birthday too. You know, I guess they'd had Alexa for five years. And I mean, the whole dinner was the kids asking Alexa questions. Finally, thank <laughs> God. Their father turned it off and goes, I was like, yeah, can we have a real conversation? <laughs> Tina? I, I just had my birthday with Alexa. <laughs> yeah. uh, Tina, you have something? Yeah, somebody um, that I've, that I've actually, weirdly enough, learned the most from about this so far is Jim Carrey. I don't know if you followed his spiritual journey, um, but it's, you know, it was somebody I could relate to. And then he had this you know, he went through this spiritual journey and awakening. And, you know, when he first said, the first time I heard him say, nothing is real, he'd be in an interview. And I don't know if you saw the interviews where he, they're asking questions. He's like, it doesn't matter. None of this is real. Like, this is, this is um, not important. And, he, you know, I, at the beginning of my journey, I was, what does that mean? You know, until you hear it enough and you, and it's like sometimes I can get a glimpse of maybe what that's about. And then it goes away because then my ego gets in the way and, and culture and all of these expectations. But um, I know that's how I know it's a process, by hearing it enough and exposing myself to things that are going to feed my soul versus other things I used to um, put in front of me, the people, the party, the years you're talking about, the, what, I've, what I valued was dependent upon who I surrounded myself with and that's been a journey is trying to change who I surround myself with and the things that motivate me. Um, what I've found is that my ego, you know, they say wherever you go, there you are, or you bring yourself with you. If you're trying to move towns or you're trying to get a new start or sell all of your things and get back to the basics, your, if your ego is still there, what's the point? That's the hardest thing to change. You can't, for me, I can't change my ego just by changing my environment and the people I surround myself with because, you know, I look at all of, you know, I try to direct my attention to service work, service work, but when you're in that kind of environment and you have people recording themselves helping the homeless and talking about how much they give away and give to people and they're, I just, I, for me, I think my ego takes over so much that I start to think, okay, I'm doing good the more I give away or the more I – so I have to be careful because, yes, I'm doing going through the motions, but what am I getting out of it? And I know it's a start, and it's better than where I used to be, and I overthink everything and, and 
Um, but for me, I think that's where I struggle with because I, I just, I have to, I have to work on that ego and I don't know how to work. And it's like, you have to work on it by not working on it because you're just supposed to let it evolve. And I just want to get in there with my ego and make myself better really quick. (laughs) Well, that's why it's a practice. Like I said, like I was talking about trying to see things without labeling them. It's like to, to acknowledge when it's your ego and let it go. And it, it's a practice. I mean, you, it's, we're just a society and the way we're raised is to label things or to, you know, have our ego involved. So I, I, I think it's been a lot of the Buddhist work I've done. That it's like, and that's a good idea for me to add the ego part in there. Because I, I lately have tried, as I was saying earlier, to not label things as good or bad. But same thing with ego and, and, and you know, they always say part, the first part of, sol- of solving the problem is acknowledging. It, for me, Tina, what I have to do, and I, and I think of uh, Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13 about this, that no matter what my actions are, if they're not motivated by love, they mean nothing, no matter what it is. And when I say serve or when you see serve in this, that's meaning changing your motivation from uh, me to love. So the real question is, how can I love you? That's the real question that's behind that. So for me, that came from starting with working the steps with a sponsor and identifying my character defects and starting to do my amends. Doing my amends and dealing with my character defects showed me how to start loving people. I didn't know how to really love someone. That showed me how to start doing that. And the real question, I guess you could take it a step back, would be not what I can do for you, it's how can I love you? And I guarantee you, if your, power, if your intent is to be uh, powerless in that regard, what you can do for them, uh your higher power will step in. It's this way of life. You know, it's this way is what it is. And it's a way of love, really, is all it is. And as we start taking these actions of love, they're really actions of surrender. Even in these little things, I found out I had to do that all of the time. And it's not as difficult as at first it was like, oh, my God, you know, I can't ride someone's ass no more and blow the horn when they're going too slow. No, I can't. I've got to show love to that person. I've got to show love to the person I think should be doing more. I've got to show love to my sorry-ass relative that, you know, I mean, I've got to do all, (laughs) you know, all those things. I've got to, you know, I say, okay, well, maybe they're right where they can be, and I don't need to be judging them anymore. Okay, well, let me start with that. You know, that kind of a change of thinking. And truly, Lala, it is. It's a. It's it's progress. It's this way of starting to look at everything different. And I would suggest a, a podcast. And we've talked about this before. I don't know on this, on the dial if we have Anthony Gold, A Course in Miracles. I think you could probably search Anthony Gold ACIM. Uh, Course in Miracles really goes a lot into none of this as being real. That it's all a projection from our mind, and that what's really happening is not what we're seeing. And we've got to change our perception of all of this. 
a lot of the books we read are based on A Course in Miracles. Uh, I would suggest regardless of your religious bent or your your spiritual bent to take a look at that because uh, even though it's uh, you hear Holy Spirit and you hear Jesus Christ and all these things, it's not you're, – you're, if you go into it with perceptions, just lower those and just listen to what's there, and you'll get something out of it because it is all about that. He just started over on his podcast, and his podcasts are 30 to 60 seconds long. And he started with the first lesson and goes through all the lessons. So he's only on like the eighth or ninth lesson, I think, at this point. So really good. I'd suggest that for anyone that what's happening with Jim Carrey resonates with, that you know, that idea of nothing is real, uh, that that really helped me to get my head wrapped around that uh, because it, it's that way with everything. All the books, Love is Letting Go of Fear, Jampowski, uh, the Tasha Silver book, it's not your money the gabby bernstein stuff all is course and miracles based so that would help that would help with that that's what i would suggest but someone anyone else with anything okay well then we'll call it there we will be meeting thanksgiving morning so anyone that wants to make it join in if not you know have a great time with your family my family's coming over later so i'm 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 able we have some folks overseas that uh, probably is just a normal day for them. You guys have a great week, and if there's nothing else, we'll see you next week. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use, and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.